Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. If you would turn with me to chapter 8 of the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, the Song of Solomon. Before we actually jump into 8, I want to just go to verse 13 of chapter 7. And it says, The mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our gates are pleasant fruits. All manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Now these words have been spoken by the Shulamite. And again, for those of you who have not been with us through the study of the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite is being repre- represents you and me. Okay, and towards the end, I'll give a summary of the whole book. But right now, just know that the Shulamite is being compared to you and I. So the Shulamite in verse 13 makes this statement. Now, the mandrakes, also known as a love fruit or a love apple, denotes intimacy, the desire for reproduction to have children. You can read about the mandrakes. It's only in two places. It's here in the Song of Solomon 7.13 and in Genesis 30, verses 14 to 17. Now, God desires you and I to go into the world to share the gospel and to build up other people in him. During the time of the harvest, especially the wheat harvest, The wheat is ready to be gathered. And here we see in the story of the bride, who's the Shulamite. She became the bride of the king. She is working with the king. She's working with her groom out of love for him. Now, again, if you've been with us since chapter 1, you've seen the development of the Shulamite woman from when she first met this king to the time now in the closing chapter as we're going to start tonight, chapter 8, and her maturity in all different ways. Very similar to you and to me. When you first came to the Lord, you were a rookie, right? You were a novice. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a number of years, you know there's been a maturity because he's the one who matures you. He brings you along. Now, some of us might feel we're not as far along as we like to be. But, you know, God's timing is perfect. He knows those things that he needs to bring into our lives to refine us. He knows what fire we need to go through. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2. It says, then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, you might think, well, what's this have to do with 
the number one hit of Solomon out of a thousand songs. This was his number one song. What's this have to do with a love story? Well, Luke 10, 2 is a part of the love story. It's the part, the harvest represents the people who are out there who have no knowledge of your Savior and my Savior. And maybe you were a person who shared the gospel for the first time with that person. Or maybe you're the 20th person that has come along and encouraged that person, said you might pray or that you would pray for that person. And what you're doing is watering a seed that might have been planted 10 years ago. One day that person, Lord willing, will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, the Lord tells us in Luke 10 that the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. The laborers are believers in Jesus who really aren't doing their job. They're not sensitive. They're not alert. They're not looking to go out and influence people for Jesus Christ, to challenge people, to debate people. To interact with people from all different areas of life. Doesn't matter. There's no set box that you put Jesus in. But he wants us to engage, to interact with other people. And as we as I read in 13, there's a fragrance that's given off. You know, there's a fragrance that's being given off. And it says, At our gates are pleasant fruits. All manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. The Bible says that you and I, to some, are a fragrance of Jesus Christ, if they're being saved. But to others, those who are perishing, we are an aroma of death, leading to death. And to the others, an aroma that's leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Well, it's not you and it's not me if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit in order to bring Jesus to others. And that happens in a whole variety and different degree of ways, how we influence others for the kingdom. But to the Lord, it's a pleasant fragrance. It's an aroma that's a sweet-smelling thing. When we're praying for one another, we're praying for the lost, we're, we're feeding others, we're clothing others, we're encouraging others. Whether they're believers or not, that's a f- sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord himself. And who else are we doing it for, right? We're doing everything unto the Lord. And it says, At our gates are pleasant fruits, all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. In Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So there is fruit that comes in our individual lives as we grow in our 
love relationship with the Lord. But there's also fruit that we see with others. Maybe it's somebody that you invited to church. Maybe it's somebody, a coworker that you talk to or they have questions about the craziness that's going on in our world today. And you're igniting a fire in them about Jesus Christ. And maybe what the Bible says and prophecy says about so many things that are happening in the world. We're not only supposed to plant seeds and water seeds, but we're to go looking for people who have a heart for God. We're to pray for people in intercessory prayer. God wants us to help in the saving of souls and the discipling of souls. Now, as we jump into our main study tonight, chapter 8 of Song of Solomon, let's look at the first two verses. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you. I would not be despised. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to instruct me, I would cause you to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. Now, again, back in chapters 1 and 2, she was looking for a kiss. Notice now... She wants to go out on the streets and kiss her lover. Now, why would this be here? What's going on here? Well, one of the things you have to understand that signs of affection in this culture outside the house was looked down upon unless it was with a family member. She wants now to show her affection everywhere. She doesn't care who knows about her love relationship with the king. And that should be something we see as we progress in our walk with Jesus Christ. That we don't care who knows. We want everybody to know about Jesus and our relationship with him. Maybe you're at that point in your relationship. You still get kind of embarrassed or it feels awkward or something, you know, when you're talking about Jesus. But you'll see as you continue in that love relationship, you'll want the whole world to know. You know? One of the things that I've been hearing lately in the last few weeks is just like the comparison with like an onion and all the different layers of the onion and peeling the onion. You know, God wants to have a relationship with us that is always growing, that is always deepening, that is always maturing, like peeling an onion. There's one layer after another layer after another layer. And as long as we're on this earth, there's a lot of layers. We're never where we're going to be content in that relationship with the Lord. There's always more we can learn. Don't you see that the more you get into God's word, there's more questions that you have. There's more things that you're finding out that you didn't even know about before. And that's a good thing. That's what God wants us to know. You know, he wants us to ask questions, be curious. What's coming around the corner? How about in your individual life? What changes do you see in your love relationship with Jesus Christ? We see in the eight chapters of the Song of Solomon, we can see the progress of this young Shulamite woman. But how about your progress and my progress? Do we see it maturing? Do we see it changing? Now, this one part here in verses 1 and 2, it talks about uh, the, 
the wine mixed with spices. You know, she's taken um, the king into her house, into the house of her mom. She who used to instruct me in verse 2, I would cause you to drink of spice wine of the juice of my pomegranate. Well, you know, wine mixed with spices is more expensive and more enjoyable. It takes more work to get it to that part. She's given her very best. She's going above and beyond in her relationship with her king. How about you and me? Do we give our very best to God? Do we? Or are we 50%, 70%? Where is it? Where are you on that line? Also, back in this culture, they would drink of the same cup. They would drink out of the same cup to show that they would go through the good and the bad things in life together. Jesus is with us. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Let's jump down to verses 3 and 4. And this is a Shulamite now speaking to the daughters of Jerusalem. His left hand is under my head. And his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Now notice his left hand, speaking of the king, as you also saw in the book of Solomon, the shepherd. We have a shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who's also our king. His left hand is under his head. He supports your thinking. He supports my thinking. He embraces your mind. He renews your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And his right hand embraces you and me. He keeps you close to his heart. Draw near to him now. Closer than you've ever been. Just say in your heart, Lord, I want to be closer than I was when I walked in this church tonight. Don't wait. What are you waiting for? And then in verse 4, it says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. You know, nothing pleases God more than us loving him. Hanging with him sitting at his feet, dependent on him, allowing his Holy Spirit to stir up our love for Jesus Christ, praying that we don't slumber or sleep with the things of God, not stirring up love towards anyone or anything else, that we're dedicated to him. In Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. And empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Another thing in that word cheat, but where lest anyone cheat in Colossians 2.8, is plunder you or take you captive. This is something you and I have to be concerned with. We can never get out of our mind how we need to be like Bereans. Always checking out in God's word to see if what you're hearing is true. Whether it be here, whether it be on a uh, CD, whether it be a radio show, somebody you go to speak, you want to make sure that everything you're hearing is lined up in the word of God. 
You know, in the upcoming elections, if the nation did that, what is what are the things of God and what are not the things of God? It'd probably be pretty clear if they looked at everything. The Shulamite woman, like us, we want to be wholly committed to going all the way with our king. Is that your desire? To go all the way with your king, to leave nothing out. Let's go to verses 5, or just verse 5 of Song of Solomon 8. Who is this coming from the wilderness? Leaning upon her beloved, I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother brought you forth. There she who bore you brought you forth. In John 13, 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You see, the Shulamite, her strength, her life, her love, her comfort, her peace, her everything came from the king, came from the shepherd, So it is with you and I, or at least it should be. How much of you and me are are still show? We must become less. He must become more. People over time should be seeing less of you and me and more of Jesus Christ in us. God has been working on you all your life to be dependent on him, to lean on him, to cling to him. Have you cast all your cares and worries on him? Give him things right now. Give him things tonight that are in your life. Don't wait. Let his thoughts be your thoughts. Let our efforts be led by him And through his strength, do things out of his unconditional love rather than conditional love. Are you clinging to your Lord? Do you really cling to him? I love this picture of this little kitten just hanging on. He's clinging. He's hanging on with that one hand. He's dug in. Do we cling to the cross realizing that's the antidote for our sin? That's the only antidote that washes away our sins, what Jesus did when he sacrificed himself on the cross. Do we cling to Jesus for our life? Emotionally, our emotional stability, our victory over sins that we might be struggling with for wisdom, guidance, provisions, strength and love? Do we cling to him? Or do we trust in ourselves? Are we clinging to our own beliefs, like in our philosophies and knowledge or our experience? Or do we really put our trust in the Lord? As Proverbs says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, not part of it, not half of it, not a quarter of it, but all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That is a lifelong thing, isn't it? How many times today do you try to do things out of your own strength without even consulting the Lord? Right? How many dead ends do you hit today? Where Jesus might have had the right path for you to take. And it took you a couple tries before you finally said, Lord, I'm stuck. And then he opened up a door. The Shulamite wasn't recognized initially in verse 5 by this person who's seeing her. Who is this coming from the wilderness? I don't really recognize her, but I, I see that she's leaning on this person that she loves. Why was the Shulamite leaning on her shepherd and king? Well, she leaned because she knew she was weak. Have you come to that point in your life where you realize without Jesus, you don't stand a chance, you're weak, you're done? You can't do things in your own strength. You can try, maybe you're still trying. But as you get older, you know that we can do nothing in our own strength. It's all about him and his strength and what he allows us to do. And she realized she needed his strength. May we realize that too. She leaned because the way was long. The journey was long. Notice where she was coming from. She was coming from the wilderness. That's a dry, desert, hot, stressful place. She needed to cling. She needed to lean. This is a long journey, this life where you and I live. And God wants us continually to lean on him. She leaned because the way was perilous. There was dangers that she encountered along the way, and he could protect her. She leaned because the path was ascending. It was going higher and higher. The terrain was changing. She leaned because her progress took her once, her more and more away from others and more and more to her beloved side. The relationship became more precious, became more intimate. And as it became more intimate, the relationship between her and her king, the things of the world started becoming less and less noticed by her, even though she was in it. She leaned because she was sure her beloved was strong enough to bear her weight. He took the weight of all the world, all the sins of the world on him at Calvary. Every person that ever lived, he took their sins. She leaned because she loved him. Because she loved him. That's the bottom line. Verses 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, 
it would be utterly despised. Set me as a seal upon your heart. The seal was like a signet ring. Now, once that seal was set, it couldn't be broken. In the culture, if the king put the seal and it was broken by someone without the king's permission, that was a penalty of death for that person. How much stronger is the seal that God sets on our heart? You know, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And here the Shulamite woman is saying to the king, set me as a seal upon your heart. Dear shepherd, I just want to sacrifice my life to you. We want to sacrifice, as Romans says, that we want to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. That's our desire. That's a prayer that you say to the king. We want to be like a tattoo on his arm that everybody can see, that everybody knows that we're spoken for. We're solid with Jesus Christ in our relationship with him. It says, for love is as strong as death. Well, this love that we're talking about is irreversible and permanent. Just like the world sees death as irreversible and permanent. That's our love relationship, our relationship with the Lord. It's irreversible. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. You know, there's two types of jealousy. There's a jealousy that could be like an envy. You're, you're jealous of someone, what they have or what's going on. But there's also that jealousy of that love relationship we have with the Lord and he has with us that we don't want anybody to interfere with that relationship we have. God is jealous for us, the Bible says. He, do, he doesn't want anyone or anything to interfere with his relationship with you and I. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. There's a Hebrew idiom. Um, an idiom is something like we would have today, like you hit the nail right on the head. That would be an idiom, meaning you're exactly right. You hit the nail right on the head. So a most vehement flame, uh, an idiom that the Jewish culture has is the coals of God a love so strong that human love pales in comparison. And that's this vehement flame. There's no comparison to the fire of God's love for us. It's an eternal love. It burns as bright at the start of our relationship as it will at the end. It never dies out. In Ephesians 1, 13, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's a guarantee that you're sealed by God. One of the things Spurgeon said, and it's up here on the screen, Beloved, there is no part of the pilgrimage of a saint in which he can afford to walk in any other way but in the way of leaning. He comes up at the first and he comes up at the last, still leaning, still leaning upon Christ Jesus. 
and leaning more and more heavily upon Christ the older he grows. When you came to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you leaned on him for your salvation. You leaned on believing that he died on the cross for your sins, all of them. As you grow older and older, that leaning should be even greater and greater. And I just want to say to the young people here and to the young people who might be listening on the Internet, whatever you think youth is, I don't know. Because you can be young in the Lord and be 60 years old. But if you're young in chronological age, don't wait till you're older to lean on the Lord fully. Don't be half and half or 2080. Lean on him fully now. And you will be used tremendously by the Lord in all the years of your life, however many that may be. Let's go to verses 7 and 8. Oh, I'm sorry, in verses uh, 7 and 8. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. Meaning, no amount of water can quench this eternal fire of God. There's nothing that can put it out. And even if someone tried to give you a billion dollars, they could not, or they could not purchase, even with a billion dollars, that eternal love that can only be given to you by God alone. It's not something that can be bought. Money can't buy me love for you Beatle fans. Verses 8 and 9. We have a little sister and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her. A battlement of silver, and if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of silver, boards of cedar. I'm sorry, boards of cedar. Now we see here that speaking is the Shulamites' brothers. They think there was at least two brothers, and they're talking about their little sister. You know, we have a little sister. She's not mature yet. She's a little girl. What do we do for her? You know, and then it says in verse 9, if she is a wall, speaking about security, protection, we will build upon her. We'll just add to her security. A battlement of silver. And if she's a door, we will enclose her. If she's just open to everything, if she's just letting people in and out, we're going to enclose her. We're going to protect her. You know, she was young and immature, and her brothers are watching out for her like good brothers should. But you know what? Here in the body of Christ, here in this church, there are brothers and sisters in Jesus that need to be prayed for. They need to be discipled. They need to be counseled. They are younger in the faith. They need to be made secure in their faith. You know, today, this is lacking in the churches in this country and in our world. It's lacking in our secular society. But make no mistake about it, there's a negative influence and teaching is being done both secularly and in the churches. One, in the churches, because people aren't teaching God's word. 
They're not given the whole counsel of God. And in the secular circles, they're open up to anything. So these young people that are coming up are being influenced by people that are making six figures. They're being influenced by the worldly devices instead of godly devices. Understand, there's always been a biblical worldview and there's always been a worldview. And it's becoming clearer and clearer, isn't it, with everything that's going on. We're seeing a division of the things of God and the people of God and the things of the world and the people of the world. And I can ask the church, because sometimes it's not distinguishable. Whose side are you on? What side are you on of this division? You can't be in the middle. You're either a godly person following the things of God, or you're a secular person following the things of the world. They don't merge together. And God's making it very clear, isn't he? He's dividing If there's any gray area, he's dividing it. It mentions here in this verse, if our sister is responsible, if she has a wall, we will continue to separate from the world and grow her in the right things. If she is at that open door, if she's open up to anything, we're going to keep building into her and keep praying and committing her to the king. Now, verse 10, we see the Shulamite answering. And she says, I am a wall and my breasts like towers. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He leased the vineyard to keepers. Everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. What we see in verse 10, I am a wall. We see she's mature. Then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. You see, this Shulamite, remember, has been through a lot. She's come out of the wilderness. She's come out of that rookie love, that that infatuation she had with the shepherd king. She's growing in her maturity. So are you and I as we continue to hide God's word in his heart, meditating on his word day and night, praying without ceasing. We're maturing in our faith. We're understanding things now that we didn't understand a year, two, three, four years ago. This Shulamite girl in 10, verse 10, she's protecting herself from others. She's separated unto her king. She doesn't have a self-image problem. She knows who's hers. She knows the king is hers. And the king has shown her, I'm yours. There's no other doctrine. There's no doctrine of demons that she's following. She's not following vain philosophies. She's mature in her relationship with the king. And she's at peace with herself and in a relationship with the king. Now we see there's a vineyard that Solomon had and he leased the vineyard to keepers and everyone was to bring for its fruit a thousand silver coins. They had to pay Solomon this. 
And there's different interpretations of this, but what I want to do is right now jump to verse 12, okay, where the Shulamite is speaking to the king, speaking to her lover, speaking to the shepherd. My own vineyard is before me. You, O Solomon, may have had a thousand, and those who tend its fruit, two hundred. She has her own vineyard now. When the story opened in chapter 1 and 2, she was working a vineyard. Now, because of her relationship with the king, she has her own vineyard to work, to develop. And she's doing that with the king. Verse 13. You who dwell in the gardens, the companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. This is the king speaking. This is the shepherd. This is the lover. Saying to the Shulamite, saying to you and to me, you who dwell in the garden of God, you who look for the fruit in my word, you who look for the fellowship of other believers, let me hear your voice. Let me hear your voice. And I want to encourage you and me. Spend more time one-on-one with the Lord. It's great preparing lessons. It's, It's great praying, worshiping together. But Jesus wants to hear your voice one on one, my voice one on one. Richer. The fragrance gets stronger to Him. Don't don't, uh, miss that one on one with your Lord. And you know, again, if you haven't been doing that, start it now. Start it tonight. Don't wait. Okay, the, the last verse. Verse 14, make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. Make haste. Another way to say it, hurry up. Hurry up, my beloved. And this is a Shulamite saying this to her king. Be like a gazelle, a young stag on the mountains of spices. All those fragrances, all the spices, all the beauty that was brought out in the Song of Solomon. She's saying, make haste, hurry up, my beloved. Come to me. And like the Shulamite, we should be thinking and saying, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Revelation, the last chapter, says, I am coming quickly. And it says in verse 20 of chapter 22, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I want to finish with Dr. Harry Ironside, who was pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. He was also involved with the Salvation Army for a long, long time. And I want to summarize all eight chapters in just a couple minutes as we close. So even if you weren't with us for most of Solomon, the Song of Solomon, 
this will give you a capsulated version. And I want to encourage all of us in your leisure, in your one-on-one with the Lord, go through the Song of Solomon. See what God does in speaking to you one-on-one. See what treasures he opens up to you in his word. Because remember, this was a song that God himself picked out of all the songs that Solomon wrote. He picked this one because there's so much in it. So here we go with a little capsule. And again, this is Dr. Harry Ironside who is going to be with the Lord. But it's pretty cool. I hope you enjoy it. King Solomon had a vineyard in the hill country of Ephraim, 50 miles north of Jerusalem. He lent it out to keepers consisting of a mother, two sons, a daughter, the Shulamite. The daughter was a Cinderella of the family, naturally beautiful but unnoticed. Her brothers were likely half-brothers. They made her work very hard tending the vineyards, giving her very little opportunity to care for her personal appearance. She pruned the vines and set traps for the little foxes. She also kept the flocks. Being out in the open so much, she had a deep tan. One day, a handsome stranger came to the vineyard. It was Solomon disguised. He showed an interest in her, and she became embarrassed concerning her personal appearance. She took him for a shepherd and asked about his flocks. He answered evasively, but also spoke loving words to her and promised rich gifts for the future. He won her heart and left with the promise that someday he would return. She dreamed of him at night and sometimes thought he was near. Finally, he did return in his kingly splendor to make her his bride. He beautifully summed up the whole book. Then he said this, This prefigures Christ who came first as a shepherd and won his bride, and later he will return as king, and then he will be consummated, the marriage of the lamb. This is a comparison that God has laid on my heart throughout the teaching of the book of the Song of Solomon. Our relationship with God one-on-one, the church's relationship as a body of Christ to the king, and our walk, and our Journey with him through it all. And like the bride says in the scriptures, I hope you can say it too. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. We're ready for you. The spirit and the bride say come. Amen. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.